Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Well, every year as Christmas draws near, I inevitably find myself thinking all about the Nativity story. Actually, I think beyond what we read in the Gospels. I'm always kind of wondering about how it must have really been for those who were there as this world-changing miracle of the Christ child was happening. I think about it in terms of the shepherds and the magi and even the innkeeper who said that there was no room in the inn. But most especially, I think about it as regards Mary, who said yes to the angel and became a handmaiden of the Lord. What did she say upon hearing the news of bearing a child? What did she do? How did she respond? Well, that's the subject of today's message, continuing our current Advent Christmas sermon series all about reclaiming Christmas in our lives and living. Based on Mary's story in Luke chapter 1, here's the message entitled, Reclaiming the Song. Some years ago now, I was talking with an old friend of mine who had recently gotten married and had just celebrated their very first Christmas together as husband and wife by worshiping together at his wife's church on Christmas Eve. Now, you've got to understand, this was actually quite a thing for my friend because he had been brought up in the same little congregational church that I was. But his wife was of a completely different religious tradition. So this was going to be a new and totally unique experience for him on that Christmas Eve. So now it's a couple of days after Christmas, and I was asking my friend how it went. And there was this long moment as though he was just trying to formulate exactly what he needed to say. And he finally said, oh, I guess it was okay. What do you mean, okay, I asked him. And he said, oh, I mean, it it was all right. We sang the carols. We we lit candles. Everything was, it was beautiful. But, and he paused again for the longest of moments, and he heaved this big sigh, and he finally said, but that minister, he all he kept talking about all through that service was about how Mary was pregnant. I bet he said it a dozen times, that Mary was pregnant with the baby Jesus. And then my friend paused again for another long moment before shaking his head and adding, it just kind of ruined the whole Christmas story for me. (laughs) Now, as a young pastor myself at the time, I was, I will tell you, very tempted to launch into a lengthy treatise on the theological implications of the virgin birth, or at least to explain to my friend that if Mary were to actually give birth in that stable on that silent holy night, that stands to reason that Mary would first would have had to have been, uh, what's that word? Pregnant. But I didn't. I didn't. Because the truth is the matter is that I totally understood what he was getting at. And I suspect that you do too. Simply put, friends, it is that we don't like to think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in that way. To refer to the birth of our Lord in such a modern, 
straightforward and, dare I say it, clinical fashion. I mean, we talk about Mary being great with child. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Uh, uh, it talks about how Mary was with child from the Holy Spirit. Both Matthew and Luke's gospel put it that way. We're even okay to use the angel's words that Mary, quote, conceived in her womb and bore a son and named him Jesus. It's actually the same reason, I think, that that so many great works of art over the centuries, so many works of literature have tended to portray Mary as calm, as serene, downright ethereal. Or, you know, to quote Barbara Robinson's wonderful children's story, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, Mary as someone who was, quote, pink and white and pure looking as if she never washed the dishes or cooked supper or did anything at all except have Jesus on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Basically, you see, our preferred vision, if you will, of Mary begins and ends with singing round yon virgin, mother and child. And while that is a beautiful thing indeed, It's my preferred vision, truth be told. Make no mistake, and I'm not saying this to ruin your Christmas. We have to understand here that Mary was, in fact, pregnant. I choke on the word, even if I say it. In a wonderful article I read this week entitled Nine Months in Mary's Womb, Janice Holm writes that in the months while she was expecting her own child, She found herself thinking about Mary's story in ways that she had never really thought about before. Christ's mother, she wrote, was a woman whose body became a living sacrifice for him in the same way that my body became a living sacrifice for my son. Did she have morning sickness too? Was it a pain to stop sleeping on her stomach and to shift onto her sides? Did she put her hand on her stomach to feel him kicking and dancing? And how in the world was she able to ride on a donkey nine months pregnant? (laughs) You know, maybe it's because of my gender, but I never thought of that before. It's a mind-boggling thing to consider that this child was to be born was the Son of God, immaculately conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. But before all of this, Holmes goes on to say, Jesus had a mother. And she was once a pregnant woman, and she went through the pain of labor, in a barn, no less, to bring the creator of the world into his own creation. It is an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? And for me, what makes it all the more amazing that one of the very first things that Mary does upon hearing the angel's news that she was going to be giving birth to this child who would be great and called the son of the Most High or at least one of the first things she does after she says to the angel, I am the servant of the Lord and let it be with me according to your word. One of those very first things that she does is to sing. To sing. And, and, and I might point out, not a mere liturgical response to the matter of hand either. I dare say that what we have heard from Mary in our text for this morning is no less than a joyous, unfettered song that is arguably the very first Christmas song. Now, as Kay pointed out, this passage from Luke's Gospel has been known as the Magnificat. And that comes from the Latin translation of that first verse, Magnificat anima mea dominum. 
And that means literally, my soul magnifies, or if you prefer, my soul glorifies the Lord. Biblically speaking, this passage is both literally and figuratively a psalm. A psalm meant as a song of prayer and praising unto the Lord. It is one of literally hundreds that are found throughout Scripture. But there's something inherently powerful about these verses that we've shared this morning, is there not? And really, I think it comes down to how in the face of unspeakable joy, the only proper response always ends up being to sing the good news. And that's exactly what Mary was doing in response to this good, amazing, world-changing, cosmic news, really, of Jesus coming into the world. And it is, to be sure, a radical response. I mean, we haven't even addressed the fact that this particular baby is being delivered to, that this news of a baby's coming is being delivered to, of all people, a poor, unmarried peasant girl living in an occupied backwoods country far, far from the seat of power. To say that this news was going to create an uncertain future for Mary, that, that was an understatement. Because make no mistake, friends, in biblical times, the mere rumor of such a thing was to unleash a scandal. Not only a scandal for Mary, mind you, but also for Joseph, Mary's betrothed. And yet here was the angel of God, the angel of God saying to Mary that not only had she found favor with God, but that she had been chosen to bear a child of the Holy Spirit because, the angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. It is an amazing Miracle, another amazing miracle. But what is even more incredible is that Mary believes it. <coughs> Unlike old Zechariah, who we talked about here a couple of weeks ago, who also gets divine news of a baby but can't accept the truth of it, here's Mary, who unaccountably, bravely, and faithfully says, Yes. Here am I, the servant of the Lord, she says. Let it be with me according to your word. Mary believes it, and she believes it so much that she literally cannot help but burst out in song. Actually, as Luke tells the story, it happens a little later when Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And it seems that when the two women start comparing baby news, Mary is so filled up with the incredible joy that she immediately starts singing, my soul magnifies the Lord, it glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I actually love how Eugene Peterson translated it in the message. Mary there says, I am bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. Now, if you read through the Magnificat again, friends, what you're going to find there is a song that is filled to overflowing with wonder, with gratitude, and with great hope. And what I really, really love about this passage is that it works on two levels. 
On one level, Mary is singing about her own joy, about what is about to happen to her. She sings here about what God, who she calls her Savior, has done for her in the gift of this wonderful child that's growing inside of her. How the Mighty One has done great things for her. But more than just a song of personal praise, Mary goes on to sing about what God is doing for all of God's creating, this birth of a child. And it is not only, as I said before, amazing and unprecedented, it is world-changing. It is paradigm-shifting, as theologians like to say. This is a song, you see, about God who brings down rulers from their thrones. This is a song about God who lifts up the humble at the same time as he brings down the rulers. It's about a God who has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty, all the while embracing his chosen child Israel with mercies piled high. What we have here in this song is a God of love and justice turning the world as we know it inside out and upside down. It is a proclamation that God has seen the world as it is and has decided to bring that world around to where it should be, from the bottom up, from the top down. It is radical, revolutionary thinking. It's actually no wonder, you know, that throughout history, these words have resonated in such a way that it puts the world's powerful on notice. Story goes, you know, that Martin Luther was so convinced of the truth of this song that he wrote out the words of it and sent it to the German prince, John Frederick. And he sent it as a warning and, and as a standard for what he referred to as faithful government. Even today, there are places in the world, throughout Latin America, for instance, that those in seats of power have banned this particular passage of scripture for being read in Christian worship because Really, it's too subversive in nature. It could cause trouble. And the reason for it is that at the heart of this song, at the heart of Mary's singing, is this undeniable, unsettling, yet life-giving truth that God is alive, that God is moving, that God is working in this world to create a new reality. That God comes into the very places of our lives where exists our fear and our grief and our uncertainty. As well as in the places where the injustices of this world, its hopefulness and its own sinfulness seem to reign supreme. So you can see, you know, how the joy of such a thing could do nothing else but burst forth from Mary's voice that shine through in her heart. And indeed, as we read the story today and as we know it so well, before, others, before long, others are going to be drawn into that same joy. Her fiancé, Joseph, this rather motley group of shepherds that kept watch over their flock by night. Three or four wise magi traveling from a far eastern country. All of these people swept up in the power and grace of a promised encounter with God. An encounter with God. Think of that. In the guise of a tiny infant who was born in the cold darkness of a stable. Well, friends, on this Sunday before Christmas, this is our gift. 
as well. A God who is alive and well and continues even now to come to us in the child of Bethlehem, bringing us a song of surprising and transformative love for us in our world. The song is there for us to sing. The only question before us is whether we are going to reclaim that song as our own, whether we are going to be bold enough to proclaim it to the world with our own voices raised. Because if, like Mary before us, we are bold enough to say yes to this child, if we make room in our hearts for his coming and thus let our lives flow in service to the Lord, then I can tell you one thing for certain. Not only do we find our purpose and our joy for living, we also find ourselves not only reclaiming Christmas, but also the promised kingdom of God that is even now beginning to unfold and flourish in its fullness. What a thing that will be for us to sing about. A few years back, my guitar and I had the pleasure of leading a Christmas sing-along with a group of little kids who were part of a preschool at the church I was serving at the time. <clears throat> now let me just say, and I think some of you know this for, for yourselves, you have not lived until you hear a room full of three- and four-year-old kids belting out Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, <laughs> complete with Like a Light Bulb and Monopoly and all the rest of that stuff. I don't know. I think they learn it by osmosis, that particular version of the song. And you find out also pretty quickly that there are always a few children there who are pretty shy about sharing their voices. There are also many for whom singing has long since moved into the realm of screaming. But what's most interesting of all is that the kids who sing the loudest are not always the kids you expect. Well, at this particular preschool, there was this little girl that when we started singing Rudolph and Jingle Bells and all of that, th this little girl was singing for all she was worth. And, and it was so much a joy, so much stuff in her voice that all the other kids certainly noticed, and the staff noticed too. In fact, a teacher shared with me afterwards that everyone was amazed by this because ordinarily this was a little girl who was very shy and somewhat distant from the other children, always extremely quiet. I guess I fixed that because trust me, she went quiet no more. But I'll never forget it, how wonderful that was because what was clearly going on is that this little girl was so caught up in the utter joy of singing those great Christmas songs, she had lost herself in the wonder and in the process found her voice of joy. Well, Christmas is coming. It's coming soon. And there are so many songs left to sing. The question is, how loudly are you going to sing, beloved? Have you found your voice of joy? Plenty of chance to look for them today. Will you reclaim Christmas this year by <clears throat> reclaiming the song of surprising, wonderful love that comes to us in Jesus? 
Will this be the Christmas that real joy, real joy will burst forth from you in every part of your life? Will it be said of you this year that your soul did magnify the Lord? That your very life sang and danced the song of your Savior God? I hope and pray that today and in every day that comes leading up to Christmas and beyond, that your voice is going to be the loudest one of all. For that will be one proclamation of our Lord's great and redeeming love. Come, Emmanuel, come. Come into our lives. Come into our world. And let us sing out our praises. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Reclaiming the Song, part of our Advent sermon series that we've been calling Reclaiming Christmas. It was recorded during our December the 18th service of worship at East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, where you are invited to join us in person for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, just off exit 16 of I-93. Especially this time of year, but always, I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our church, and I know you'll be glad you came. And that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Thanks for listening today, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.